Okay. So we are doing now Friday's portion of Ha'azinu, in which we complete the Shira, the song that Moshe is bringing heaven and earth to be witnesses to what will happen to the Jews in the future, to their transgressions, to God's punishments, and to ultimately God's comfort, which is what we're discussing today. So we are in chapter 32, up to verse 40. For I shall raise my hand to the heaven, and I shall say, as I live forever. So on this Rashi says, I will raise my hand to the heaven. This is an oath because of God's rage, because of God's anger over how the Jews have been abused by the nations. He's taking an oath. And I shall say, as I live forever, and this is the expression of an oath, to swear as I live, that is the expression of an oath. The next verse. I shall sharpen the shine of my sword, and my hand shall grasp judgment. I shall return vengeance upon my enemies, and upon those that hate me I shall bring retribution. So Rashi explains, I shall sharpen the shine of my sword means I'm going to sharpen the blade of my sword so it should have a shine. And my hands shall grasp judgment, meaning, Rashi says, I'm putting aside the attribute of mercy toward my enemies who harmed the Jewish people. You could say, well, well, didn't God tell them? But God says, I was angry a little, and they went way beyond my will in persecuting the Jews. Another explanation, Rashi gives two answers here. My hand should grasp the trait of judgment, that I'm holding judgment to judge all these nations that harmed the Jews. So either the first explanation, Rashi was saying, I'm holding judgment, meaning I'm not holding compassion, I'm holding judgment. And the second explanation is I'm holding judgment because I'm going to right now judge them. The judicial process. I have to judge the enemies of the Jews, what they did. A person could say, well, well, they were just carrying out God's will. God says, no, I have to judge them. We're going to see in the next Rashi a third explanation on this phrase. I shall return vengeance upon my enemies. Rashi says that two points here. First point here is we see how God is obviously not like the traits of a human, because a human, he shoots an arrow, that's it, and the arrow's gone. But by God, as he shoots the arrow, he can pull it back, because what's God's arrow? We see lightning is God's arrow. He can retract the lightning even after he sends it off. So judgment here, Rashi explains, is our third explanation on judgment, is punishment. Meaning in the previous Rashi, we said judgment, I'm holding judgment, not mercy. Judgment, I'm judging them, a judicial process. And here, judgment, I'm punishing them. Next verse. I shall make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh because of the blood of the corpse and captivity, because of the earliest incursions of the enemy. Jerash explains, I shall make my arrows drunk with blood, the blood of the enemy. My sword is going to devour the flesh, the flesh of the enemy. Now, why am I doing this? So, because of the blood of the corpse and captivity, 
This is happening to them because of their sin, of the blood they took from the Jews, that they shed the Jews' blood. They took captive the Jews and they shed those bloods. That's why I'm doing this to them. Because of the earliest incursions of the enemy, the Rash explains that when God ultimately will punish the nation for their sins against the Jewish people, he's going back to their sins from the beginning of time. Meaning from when they first broke through against the Jews until the time of judgment, all of those sins will be punished at the end. Last verse. Sing nations the praises of his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will bring retribution upon his enemies, and he will appease his land and his people. So Rashi explains, this is very confusing to understand, sing nations the praises of the people. What, what, what do we mean? The non-Jewish nation that God is taking vengeance on is praising the Jews for them being punished by God? Why would the victims of vengeance be praising the vengeance? So Rashi says, no, they're not praising the fact that they're getting punished now. What they're doing is they're praising the Jewish people for trusting that God would avenge them. Even in our darkest times, we trusted that God will avenge them. And this is what they're going to say. They're going to praise the Jews and say, see what a special people this is. That they stuck with God through all of their travails. They did not abandon God. They knew in the end he would come through for them as he is by punishing us now. Now we have this double expression here. He'll avenge the blood of his servants. He'll bring retribution upon his enemies. So Rashi explains in two Rashis, that's talking about two totally separate things. He'll avenge the blood of his servants means he's going to avenge for their spilling our blood. Rashi says as it sounds, literally. For all the murders, they say in the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages, the world was washed in the blood of the Jews. For all the murder, all the blood, our blood that spilled, that washed the world with the blood of the Jews, all of that God will take avenge for. And then he'll bring retribution for all the other crimes, like theft and injustice, in other words, they didn't only harm us in a bodily way. They also harmed us financially, e- economically. So we're saying here that God's going to treat the injustice committed against the Jews properly as he's treating the injustice committed by murdering us. He's going to take revenge for it all. And then, he will appease his land and his people, Rashi says, meaning literally the verse reads, he will appease his land his people. Rashi is saying there's an implicit and linking his land and his people. The chiper, like we just had Yom Kippurim, chiper kapar usually means atone, which wouldn't really make sense in context so much. So Rashi says here it doesn't mean to atone, it means to appease. He's going to appease his land and he's going to appease his people. The last verse says here, well, appease his land. What is his land? Why are we saying his land, his people? His land is his people. When his people is consoled, his land is consoled. When the Jewish people are consoled, the land of Israel is consoled. So at this point, seemingly, we should be done the chitas of today. We should be done the Rashis. If you're looking inside, we have a lot of Rashis ahead of us. What are all these Rashis? 
What Rashi is going to do now is something very unusual. Because Rashi's perspective is, I come to explain the literal meaning of the verse. If you want to know lots of different explanations, you can look in the Midrash, where I get the literal explanation from, and you'll find 20 other explanations. The genius of Rashi is in looking at those 20 explanations in the Midrash and pulling out what is the literal meaning of the verse. So here it's very unusual, because Rashi gave us what he understands as the literal meaning of the verse. And now he's going to go back and give us a different interpretation following the Midrash. Meaning, there are two sages, two Tanaim, that explained these verses very differently. One was Rabbi Yehuda, and one was Rabbi Nehemiah. Rabbi Yehuda is looking at all these verses. So we're talking about from 28 until here, 43. So Rabbi Yehuda explains all of them as referring to Israel. Rabbi Yehuda, conversely, explains all of them from 28 to 43 as referring to the enemies of the Jewish people. Now Rashi, in his explanation, did it half and half. Meaning, starting with verse 28 through 32, Rashi said that referred to the enemies. And 33 to 43, we just finished at 43, is referring to Israel. So he explained the first half of this segment of verses as referring to the enemies, and the second half as referring to Israel. Rabbi Huda says the whole thing is referring to Israel. Rabbi Nechemi says the whole thing is referring to the enemy. So Rashi is now going to go back and say, well, another way of looking at this will be if we follow Rabbi Huda's perspective, that it's all referring to Israel. And that doesn't take that long. That's very brief. And then Rashi spends a lot of ink explaining Rabbi Nechemi's perspective, how all of the verses, meaning the last ten that we said are about Israel, Rabbi Nechemi says are about the enemies of Israel, and Rashi explains it according to that as well. So if we're looking at it according to Rabbi Yehuda's perspective, that even the initial verses of 28 through 32 are also about Israel, which Rashi said, in the most literal meaning, they're about the enemies of Israel. So Rashi says that we follow this perspective, basically, all of these things that I say were about the enemies, they're about Israel. Like, for example, I said they don't have their, their nation bereft of counsel, meaning the non-Jews aren't getting it that this is all coming from God. Well, actually, now it means the Jews aren't getting it because they're not learning the Torah, so they're not understanding. Because Torah will give them proper understanding. When I said they have no understanding, again, Raj explained it to mean the non-Jews have no understanding to understand that God is the one giving Israel into their hands. Rabbi Yehuda said, the Jewish people have no understanding. Again, they're not learning Torah. Torah will give them understanding. What are they not understanding? How one could pursue a thousand. So according to how Rashi first explained it, how one could pursue a thousand means how could one of us, of the non-Jews, pursue a thousand of them, of the Jews? Now, switching it slightly, the Jews are not understanding how one of the non-Jews could pursue a thousand of the Jews. So really, as we see, if we're switching it to Rabbi Yehuda's explanation, it's slightly different, but we still get the general gist. Now, we're going to look the other way, which is Rabbi Nechemia. So Rabbi Nechemia is understanding all of these verses as talking about the non-Jews. So the first ones initially, Rashi also said, were about the non-Jews. 
the initial verses of 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. But starting in 33, from 33 to 43, Rashi said those are about the Jews. And Rabbi Nehemiah said those are continuing about the non-Jews. So now we're going to go through all those verses and show what does this mean if we're talking here, not about the Jews, but about the non-Jews. So if you're looking back in your Chumash, um, so originally, of course, Rabbi Nehemiah and Rashi are saying the same thing. If we go to verse 32, that is where we're beginning a, a different slant on it. When it says, for their vine is a vine of stone, we explained this before, meaning the Jewish people. Now, of course, we mean the non-Jews, the nation. And their fields are Amora, the non-Jews. And that's why they don't get it to attribute the greatness that they attain to God. Because they're like Stoma and Amora. All the greatness they attribute to themselves, they attribute it to their God. They don't attribute it to God himself. Continuing, their grapes are grapes of gall which we said was the Jewish peoples. But now we're saying this is the enemies, that the enemies want to poison them with these grapes of gall to treat them bitterly. And that's why, Ashkelos, Moros, Lamo, bitter clusters aren't to them. That's why we're going to give them these bitter clusters for everything they did to the Jewish people. Continuing, Hamas Taninim Yenam, the next verse, serpents burning venom is their wine. This is again, again, we're, we're switching all this because we said all this was about the Jews, now we're switching it to the non-Jews. We have this, this cup of venom, this cup of poison ready to give these enemies to drink for what they did to the Jewish people. The next verse, is it not stored away with me? That cup, that cup of, of their punishment is stored ready for me to give them. Next verse, to the time when their foot was slip. So Rashi connects us here to the idea of what it says, the foot will trample. Now that verse, the foot will trample, is in Yeshai, is in Isaiah. And it's referring to when Israel defeats the enemies by the times of the Messiah, by the times of the Shia. So the trampling of the feet represents the Jews' success. By the same token, the faltering of the feet represents the enemy's failure. The next verse, for God will do judgment for his people. So in this perspective, we're understanding this, these words very differently than we did before. Key here means because. And judgment here doesn't mean to rebuke, as we said originally, but it means to judge, meaning to take up their cause against their oppressors, because this, 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 God, this has gone way too far. Next verse. He will say, where is his God? Now, remember, before we said it as if rhetorically we're saying to the Jewish people, okay, where's that God you trusted in? But now we're saying it's about the enemy. So this is when the enemies will say, where is the God of the Jews? Like Titus is very famous that when Titus, the Roman general that destroyed the temple, when he pierced the parochas, says he pierced it with his sword, the curtain which separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. After capturing Jerusalem, Titus pierced the parochas before he destroyed the temple. And he said, where is the God of the Jews? 
the next verse. See now that I, I am he. Then, when the Holy One will reveal his salvation, he's saying to the enemies of the Jews, see now that I, I am he. It all came from me. The evil that came upon them came from me. And now the goodness that I'm bringing to the Jewish people is also coming from me. Why were you so foolish that you attributed it to yourselves and your deities? All of your success had nothing to do with you. It was God's will. It was God's will that you should have this power over the Jews. And now it's God's will to take revenge for what you did to the Jewish people. And there is no new rescues from my hands, meaning now God is saying to the enemies, there's no one to rescue you from that which I'm going to bring upon you. All the bad is your punishment. Next verse. For I've raised my hands to the heaven. This is now, we're looking at this very differently than we did before. And we're saying here, it says, if God is saying, I am in the heavens, Meaning, if there's even if you had a battle, let's say you know the people in the valley, the people on the mountains fighting. If the people on in the mountains are even weaker than the people in the valley, but because they're on top, they have a built-in advantage. So if the people on top always have a built-in advantage, could you imagine if the stronger one is on top? Could you imagine when the stronger one's on top and the weak one's down in the valley? Now imagine this is God. So God's saying, "I'm in the heavens. I'm on top, and I'm." infinite, far stronger than you. So imagine the fear that should now come upon you when I'm taking revenge for my people. So this verse, verse 40, says, I've raised my hand to the heaven. So here, hand refers, as we said before, as a swear, as a shavua, as an oath, but the place of my divine heaven, the place of my presence, my presence is located in the heavens. So I have the power to take from you what you owe. And the verse says, I live forever. Meaning, a regular mortal king, he, if he wants to punish someone, he's in a rush. He's got to do it before he dies or before they die. But God said, I, I don't have to rush. I live forever. In later generations, I could punish you for early generations. I could take, punish the dead the same way I could punish the living. So I don't have to rush. I live forever. Even if you die, it's fine. I could punish you after your death. I'm going to punish you at exactly the right time. No rush, no pressure. The next verse, and I sharpen the shine of my sword. So here, the verse started off with the word im which normally means if. But here, Rashi says it's not conditional if, it's when I sharpen this. And then, from then on, it continues as Rashi explained, according to his first explanation. And that is the end of the Chumash of today.